Welcome back to Gal on the Go Unplugged. My esteemed guest today is Lisa Barr, the New York Times and USA Today best-selling author of Woman on Fire, The Unbreakables, and the award-winning Fugitive Colors. In addition, Lisa was an editor for the Jerusalem Post, managing editor of Today's Chicago Woman, managing editor of Moment Magazine, and an editor and reporter for the Chicago Sun-Times. One of her many career highlights included covering the famous handshake at the White House between the late Israeli Prime Minister Yitzhak Rabin, the late PLO leader Yasser Arafat, and President Bill Clinton. Lisa has been featured on Good Morning America and Today for her work as an author, journalist, and blogger. However, I first became aware of Lisa from an Instagram post of hers when the attack on Israel happened. Her share was so passionate and raw that it moved me to tears, and I am not Jewish. I reached out to her immediately and asked if she would be on Unplugged. Hello, Lisa. How are you? I'm doing okay. How are you? All right. Thank you for coming on Unplugged. I greatly appreciate, as I have shared, your presence on this show. And I know you are an incredibly busy woman. <laughs> so we will dive right into this special conversation. As I mentioned, you are a multiple New York Times bestseller, but first I wanted to recognize your roots as a Jewish American and what that means to you under current world circumstances. Given global unrest and your culture and personal connections to the losses, I was wondering how does that affect you as an author to use the power of your pen and your voice to reach and have a greater impact messaging others? Well, first of all, thank you for your kindness and your care and your reaching out in this very, very trying time. So I have a lot of friends and family in Israel, and I was a reporter there for seven years covering everything going on in Jerusalem for a newspaper called the Jerusalem Post. This is before I was in, you know, became an author. And while I was writing my manuscripts by day, I was a journalist. And so two of my three daughters were born in Jerusalem. So I have a very strong connection. And when everything happened, my closest girlfriend who lives there, one of her daughters was at that music festival. She survived, but her 10 friends that she was with did not. And they died. And then three other friends were kidnapped. So it's been very trying, if you can imagine. As I mentioned, I have a lot of other family and friends there. So I'm around the clock, very concerned. So it impacts me greatly as a writer. And usually my, you know, if you've seen my book posts, it's mostly about my book world and book events, and it's happy and it's joyful. And I love connecting with readers. But when this happened, there was a shift, and for me at least. And I knew I had to use my voice to stand strong, to showcase what's going on with the hostages, especially the 35 children who are taken hostage, and with the rampant 
anti-Semitism worldwide, I feel this is my only real way of being able to act and spread the word of what's going on. So, you know, if you look at my social media, I really have, for, since October 7th, have been focused on pretty much only this. And ironically, I'm in the middle of writing a book that has to do with World War II history, that there's a lot of connections. So I feel like in my work life, in my book life, and in my, you know, social media life, I'm, everything's kind of a perfect storm right now uh, in my world. So it's been tough. Well, now to that point, you are coming to the end of the book tour and also working, at, like you mentioned, on the edits for the upcoming book. Yes. How is it for you in this environment at the start of the book tour versus now, given the state of some people and their behavior and their feelings? It's a really hard question um, because as a Jewish author and a very proud Jewish author who writes about World War II history, and I'm also the daughter of a Holocaust survivor, so I have a lot of connection. And it's amazing to see those, say, especially who are not from the Jewish community, but who are what I call upstanders, where they're not looking away, they're seeing what's going on, they're taking a stand, or they're reaching out publicly or privately, wherever they are comfortable. And that, to me, feels like a warm embrace. On the flip side, there are a lot of people that I once called friends, and they are silent or sort of taking the opposite perspective. And it's very, very painful. So I'm trying to put all of this together. Who are my real friends? Who would stand up for me? You know, this is this is unfathomable what's happening in terms of anti-Semitism, especially on campus. So much hate was unveiled in such a short period of time. Obviously, it's been there all along, but it has just been like you know, rose to the surface. So I'm trying to reconcile all these various forces at once, plus try to work on my book edits, you know, having very little sleep. And then you throw in three, being a mom of three daughters into the mix. It's a lot. But even with all that, I refuse to be silent. And I will always stand up for the haters who hate Jews and for the haters who hate anybody, regardless of their race, sexual orientation, gender. I mean, I, my grandmother, who I was very close to, and, and in fact, she's a character, one of my characters in Woman on Fire is based on my grandma, who is my best friend, but oh. she lost all of her family in Auschwitz and concentration camp. And she has always taught me to be proud, but to always stand up against all hate. So, you know, I'm trying very hard to do it all, to use my platform to take a stand and my book stuff as well. And uh, it's it's been a bit of a crazy time, like I mentioned. Now, your grandmother is no longer with us. No, she she passed. Yeah, I think she would be incredibly proud of you because you affected me and I'm not Jewish. And it's because of your sincerity and your passion for your culture. I was just so drawn to it. And again, to the point that you made, if you're open minded as an individual, how can you not 
hear directly from people that are affected and not be affected by your affectedness. Yeah. I agree. I and, and I appreciate that. I think she would be so, so proud. <laughs> oh, thank you. I, she's she's the voice in my head. She's really, I always tell everyone this or whatever speech I give is that she's the voice in my hand. She's the reason I write the stories that I write and why I fight what I fight for. And so I, I just feel like I, I've got, I, I feel her presence, even though she's no longer here. But um, thank you for that. That means a lot. Oh, absolutely. And that's very cool. You are a multiple New York Times bestseller. That's like amazing. People dream to be a one-time New York Times bestseller in their lifetime. So to have three, and I'm sure with the new book, you're going to have more even. <laughs> I, I just think that's really amazing. Given what was revealed recently about the reporters from the New York Times and how they were found to be embedded in knowing what was happening overseas. How do you feel about that association? Because, you know, there's got to be that pride element of being a renowned New York Times bestseller. But then also I am just assuming like a little bit of a, a little bit is an understatement, probably disappointment of what they did as an organization? Well, just to keep the facts correct, these are freelance reporters who are based in Gaza. And just to explain it a little bit further, they found that these photojournalists were on hand in Israel at the moment in real time of the massacre. So that clearly showcases that they had evidence that this was taking place and they were there filming it and there's pictures, you know, you could do the research. It's all there in black and white. And so um, I know CNN has distanced itself and other news organizations have as well. But I think it it speaks to the bigger issue that I found even before this is that news is no longer unbiased, just the story. It's pretty much almost every news organization, whether it's on cable or, or or magazines or newspapers, there's such a strong bias that I know myself, I have to watch four different stations so that I could collect what may be the real story. And so that is very difficult for someone who was a reporter for almost 30 years. And I was, you know, a reporter in Jerusalem and I covered terrorism and all kinds of assignments. And for me, the integrity of the media is what's at stake here. And that's my biggest disappointment. You know, sort of this taking sides. There's no just the facts, no more who, what, where, when, why, and how. Like that's gone out the window. And that I think news organizations really have to go deeper and, and get to the bottom of sort of this new, acceptable, unbiased journalism. I totally agree. And thank you very much for that, Raw Share. I really appreciate that. Well, let's get back to your book. And fire, as I say to all my friends, is truly hot. It's a New York Times <laughs> and USA Today bestseller. It was a Barnes and Noble Fiction Book of the Month. It's the number one Audible Fiction bestseller. And Sharon Stone's going to produce and star in the movie version. That's pretty amazing. 
And for those who don't know yet, just you're hired. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. Thank you. It would be an honor. And if you haven't read it yet, pick it up immediately. But I will give you a little context. The book Woman on Fire is about a young, ambitious journalist hmm, (laughs) embroiled in an international art scandal centered around a Nazi looted masterpiece culminating in a showdown between passion and possession, lovers and liars, history and truth. And the timing of the book, (laughs) which we touched upon, is pretty wild given all the world circumstances. So who or what, though, for this particular book influenced that storyline? And I know you said your grandmother was a big influence. And what does it mean to you now under current circumstances? So my, this is Woman on Fire is my third book. And my very first book is called Fugitive Colors. And so that's also historical suspense, also about Nazi looted art. So my my second book is a total departure, a genre jump, as they call in my business, very sexy women's fiction. But back to Fugitive Colors, I loved those characters. My debut novel, and it was award-winning, and all different things happened with it. So, and Woman on Fire is what they call a an Easter egg. So, the the one of the characters in Fugitive Colors is a renowned expressionist painter in Germany who is persecuted by the Nazis, and there's a whole storyline. So, his last known painting is Woman on Fire. So this is about the painting. The first book was about the artists. This book is about the art. And so I decided, I wrote this book during COVID lockdown. And at the time, I decided I wanted to kind of throw in the kitchen sink and write in, you know, everything I love to read and write. So it's history, it's suspense, it's risky journalistic pursuits, passion, and strong, fiery women, like everything I love to read and write in this book. And so everyone was a little bit crazy during COVID lockdown. So I literally gave birth to this book nine months after I started writing it. And so I decided I wanted to go back when I wrote it to a time and place in my own life that I that I love. So this is Really, the main character, the protagonist, is a 24-year-old journalist named Jules Roth. And so I gave her all my background as a young journalist. This is before kids, before I became crusty and old and jaded. You know, this I gave I gave all the good stuff to Jules, but really from the perspective of a newbie reporter, that innocence that I no longer have, you know, after 30 years as a, a working journalist. And so that was on one hand. On the other hand, coming from a journalism background, I always pour into my novels, all of them, a news uh, nugget. And so just briefly, this I had read an article years ago in 2013 about 1,500 masterpieces had shown up in this dilapidated apartment in Munich, Germany. This old man had these paintings literally stuffed into his stove. And we're talking Picasso, Chagall, Matisse, major masterworks worth $1.5 billion in this hoarder's apartment. 
And it turns out that he was the son of Hitler's major art thief of so-called degenerate art, art that the Nazis deemed deplorable, unacceptable, and that they they burned, they did all kinds of things with this art. Anyway, I decided to take this real news story and sort of this is the beginning of where the novel takes off, where a crooked art dealer in my book, Woman on Fire, decides, hears about this treasure trove and decides to rob it. So the question is, is it a, a crime to rob the robber? And so it kind of all takes off from there and it gets crazy and twisted and complicated. And um, I loved writing it, loved writing every minute of it. So, and and it's been a great tour. I wonder if that's part of the success because you got so much joy from the process and you were into it so much it wasn't like you were just like oh i have this idea for a novel i'm gonna write it i've never seen someone so enthusiastic about a project and i feel like that translated incredibly you know to us as readers and fans of yours it's really special the way you tackled the process of that one I always feel like no matter what it is, whether it's books or, you know, like what you do, it's like you have sheer joy of doing these interviews. And so if you have passion for something, whatever that passion is, and I and the reason I love to write about artists is because artists have that passion. I feel like it's the most passionate of all fields, you know, just because it's your insides turned out that you're expressing. And so I feel... In a way, I agree with what you're saying. I feel like because I loved writing this so much, I love the research. I'm a research geek. I, I loved every part of it. And when I put it out into the world, I felt very proud of it and very excited about this book and the characters especially. So, you know, I, I feel like that translates, but I, I feel like that translates for all the authors I know who really dig what they're working on. Well, I appreciate that and love it. Now, you mentioned the Easter egg. Was that an accidental Easter egg? Or did you have this foresight to know that your follow-up would be connected like that? I knew from my readers that they all wanted a sequel to Fugitive Colors. But Fugitive Colors was four years of research. I mean, I'm, I, my background is investigative journalism. So it's kind of an, uh, no stone goes unturned. And so it was four years of research, traveling throughout Europe, doing interviews before I allowed pen to paper. So it was a lot of blood and guts written into my first novel that I knew I needed some like a breather almost as a writer. And so that's where I ended up writing uh, my middle book called The Unbreakables. But when it came down to it, that the, my first book is really who I am. I love history. I love being surrounded by mounds of books and finding all the nuggets that I could infuse into my novel. And it all worked out that way. And so, yes, I knew that I was going to make this about a painting. I knew I loved this artist in my last book called Ernst Angle. And it's funny, it's so real that many people, uh, you know, whatever event I go to, they'll say, you know, I researched Ernst Angle and I couldn't find him. He's not a real person. But 
I'm not the only one. When you become very involved in your characters, they they become part of your life. You dream about them. You think about them. You are half in and half out of real life and book life. So I knew that I was going to take this character, this character's painting, but it's a very different story. The only thing that I can say is that my four years of intensive sort of becoming a quasi-expert in Nazi looted art gave me a very strong base for Woman on Fire. So I was able to kind of dive off of that, which which was very helpful. Well, I think also you're just such an incredibly powerful writer. I've not come across someone like you that can impact in the most concise words and long form writing. That's incredibly special and powerful. Given the fact that Sharon Stone's going to produce and star in your movie, Woman on Fire, some authors like this and some don't. So I was very curious, are you excited by the prospect of your book being turned into a movie? How do you feel about that? As of right now, things are on hold with the movie, you know, given everything that happened in Hollywood and the strike and all those things. So right now, things are very slow in the movie aspect. So I'm just kind of letting letting it ride, see what happens. You know, I'm hoping it comes together, but you never know. So right now we'll see what happens with the movie. But it's very cinematic, as you know, this book. So you know, I'm hoping something comes out of it. If not now, then at some point soon. Well, I love that you go with the flow, have that attitude. <laughs> and, you know, it there's is... no, no other choice in life. You know? <laughs> well, they better do it justice. That's all Thank I have to you. say. <laughs> Thank you. So what aspect of being a best-selling author is your favorite? You know, you have the book tours, the writing process, your readers and your fans, what is like your favorite thing about that whole process? So, you know, to be honest, the book tour is grueling. Like it's great, but it's, you know, if there's travel, if you have kids and there's things going on. And so I, before we started the show, I was giving you a little background and I had told you that I've had over 300 events since the book was launched. It was, you know, some of those events were three times a day, three different events, and it was grueling. And I, I'm still going to have events while I'm working on my next book. So it's exciting, but it's, it can be exhausting. I think once I get there and I'm there with the readers or interacting and you hear and you share, you know, I share my stories and background and then I hear from the readers or I had someone who was a painter or their family's painting was Nazi looted art or very cool, interesting connections happen and I meet new friends and make contacts that way. That's been exciting. I love doing events with other authors. It's almost like buddies and really connecting about the book world. So that's kind of my favorite. I have, you know, a great group of book friends and we sort of, pardon my French, we can bitch about things and we can, <laughs> and, and we can cheerlead for each other and lift each other. And some of us are in the same genre and so-called competitors, but we've got each other's backs. So I would say that I love my tribe. And when it comes down to it, take away all the fluff and everything else. 
I go, I work seven days a week, sometimes 10 hours a day. And I have my cafe that I go to. So I have my corner cafe, my cappuccino. I have a writing partner where she'll come most of the days and we work across from each other. And you know what? It's really all about the writing in the beginning and in the end for me. It's it's my passion and I feel very blessed. I mean, there was a long time I was working my day job as a journalist and then to allow me to be able to do, to follow my passion and write my book at night. So it was a full day of working another aspect of writing in order to do this this job. And now I feel very grateful and blessed that I get to do this full time and I can write my essays as the second job. You know, so that's that's the big difference and in a long-winded way of answering your question, it's the raw writing. That's the part. That's my favorite part. You know, just me and my words and 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 wrestling through and creating a story that affects someone and impacts someone or causes someone changes someone's life because of something I've written. That a fun story, um, my middle book, without going into it, someone read the book, left a bad relationship, quit her job, got out of her apartment, moved to Rome and found her, you know, happy place. And she said it was because my book pushed her to do those things. So for me, I love that stuff. You can make an impact on an individual's life or an individual reader somehow. Um, you affect them that way. So that's the best part as well. Well, that's an incredible share. Thank you so much. And that's why I think you're a badass because you empower other women. And <laughs> I said it, and you are a woman on fire, actually, yourself. I hope so. Oh, absolutely. All the things you're doing and the fact that, you know, your writing is such a passion and you're working with a partner and how you view other women as your equals and not competitive. I think the world needs more of that. And that shows just how incredible of an empowering woman you are. Thank you. And back at you as well. Thank you for <laughs> doing all that you do to promote uh, women and, and authors. And I mean, it means a lot. Well, I'm happy to do so. Thank you. With the topics that you chose, and you had mentioned you're such a fan of history and you love facts and research, uh, how do you go about researching the historical elements? Is it old school reading up? Is it a combination of maybe people share during book tours personal things that you didn't expect because they adore you so much and they want to give you some, like, I'll say dirt? <laughs> It's first of all, it's a great question. So I always say that you can take the girl out of journalism, but you can't take the journalism out of the girl. So in this aspect, it's kind of a blessing and a curse because I have other friends in, in historical fiction. So they may read five sources and call it a fact, but because I've been trained boot camp journalism, I need 20 sources and I'll say, okay, I'm, I'm on repeat. This is a fact. So it takes me longer than some writer friends to get a book out because I'm such a stickler with getting the facts right. So it is a combo of old school. You know, the research geek in me loves being surrounded by documents and books and facts and interviews. And so 
It's a matter of gathering, sifting through, picking what what works. And a lot of times I'll have the story in my head and the research, whatever I'm finding, supports it or it might take it in a different direction or it could be something very personal. Um, I usually tell this to like book clubs because that's a, it's a more intimate story. Woman on Fire is the most personal book that I've written that I've given the most of my own personal life. So for example, when I was 17, I was on an internship program in Springfield, Illinois, which is our state capital. And while I was there, and this is a hundred years ago, while I was there- Oh, yeah. Yeah, it is. So uh, while I was there, I was approached by a special law enforcement unit. And this is before cell phones and computers. And they said, would you be interested in helping us break a sex trafficking ring and be and you being used as bait to help break this ring? And at that time, I was 17. You didn't have to get your parents' permission on anything. It's not like today. And I was like, yes, of course, I'm in. So I was used as bait in real time. People were arrested and we broke this major sex trafficking ring. And you can imagine the impact on a 17-year-old. And, you know, at that moment, I knew I was going to be a journalist and I knew I was going to go after the hard truths no matter what. And so I kind of had this story that I never really told for years, decades. And I thought, you know what? This is the perfect background for my young journalist. And so I gave this story to Jules Roth, my my pro, my protagonist. To answer your question, it's research, it's tidbits, it's dirt. But even with dirt, you have to research and make sure it's real dirt and not fake dirt that you're putting into a book. Because, and especially with the Holocaust, you can't bullshit. Like, there's always going to be someone who's going to say, that's not how it happened. I was there. My grandmother was there. This that that didn't happen that way. So you got to get it right. And so I take a lot of time to get it right. So I don't have a reader who finds me after the book and tells me, hey, that's not true, because to me, that would that would be really tough if I made that kind of mistake in my work. Well, I think that was incredibly fearless of you to do that at 17 and just proved that you had this incredible path ahead of you because nothing could stop you if you do something like that. And you just gave me this, I hate to say like, aha, but it really is that aha moment that you are so thoughtful and take so much pride in your research that even though you're putting a fiction book out, it doesn't matter that It doesn't necessarily, let's say, have to be completely accurate because of the fact that it's fiction. You care so much that you want the parts that are fact to be represented properly and to make sense in the story that you have woven and put together. And I just have an immense respect for that with you also, because I truly had never thought about that before, how people could not maybe pay attention to the detail at that level like you do. I, I just I think I I respect history and but more than that, I respect the lives. Like I wrote about this in a in a social media post that there's one thing that's the event. And what's most important are the faces, the stories, the human aspect of what that event is. And so at that part of it, 
I really respect and I'm I'm very determined to be accurate. You know, sometimes there are, you know, where you're writing a story and the timeline for history and your story aren't exactly aligned. And that's an area where sometimes you can fudge it a little bit, you know. Well, I think that's part of the reason why your books have such great impact also because of that aspect. Now you touched upon, we talked about empowering women and how you just represent that to an incredible level. How do you think that your books resonate with audiences? Do you find that it resonates very deeply with young women, older women, men? How have you seen that as you've been on your book tour? I think, you know, obviously a lot of women love women on fire. It's it's very empowering, but I have just an equal amount of male characters in the book. So it crosses all lines. I like to, I love my male characters. My first book, Fugitive Colors, is the main character is a, is a man. My middle book is very relationshipy between a woman and a man. So I don't like to be pigeonholed that this is just a woman's book. In fact, I'm giving one of my events in February is to a very large men's organization. And I'm talking about Woman on Fire. I love that it crosses all demographics. And I think it's a human story. And so, or my books are the human experience. So young and old, you have a a 24-year-old protagonist, but her, the story is about an 80-something-year-old man's story that they become very close. So it's, you know, cross-generational for sure. I mean, that's the fun part. I don't like to be pigeonholed. And in fact, My publishing house was like, how do we promote this book? Is it history? Is it suspense? What is this book exactly? Because it does reach out to all different elements of fiction. And, you know, I I like that. I like that you're, you know, you're like, it's all the things. That's what it is. Why be one thing? You can be a little of everything, you know? That's the great thing about today. Things aren't like they used to be when it was more narrowed. You can like, you know, have it widespread. I love that. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So you had let me in and some others on the teaser that your new historical thriller, The Goddess of Warsaw, is going to debut on May 28th, 2024. I was wondering if you could please share a teaser and some insight onto that book with unplugged listeners. Okay. Unplugged listeners. I have loved writing this book. So it's, it's about a legendary Hollywood actress. Think, you know, 1950s golden age of Hollywood uh, with a dark secret past. So in Hollywood, she's a femme fatale, but in her dark secret past during the Warsaw ghetto uprising, which was known as one of the greatest Jewish resistance revolts during World War II, during the Holocaust, she was an assassin. And so she was in her younger life, also an actress back in Warsaw, but no one knows this in Hollywood. And so what's happening is her past is about to meet her present and about to expose her. And so she's going to have one last act. It's very, very suspenseful, dark, exciting, historical. And I really loved writing this character from the Warsaw historical end to Hollywood. And actually there's a third timeline to now as well. I'm very excited about this new book. Again, as you mentioned, thank you. It's coming out in May. 
it's exciting. Absolutely. It sounds incredible. It's the goddess of Warsaw and I cannot wait. Thank you so much for sharing that insight. With that, I will say our episode is coming to a close because you're such a busy woman. I am very privileged to have had this time with you, especially given your schedule. So we extend heartfelt gratitude to Lisa for her time in the midst of everything, including your book tour and your upcoming book. To learn more about Lisa and get your copies of her thought-provoking, incredibly written books, visit her IG page at lisabar18 or go to Lisa's website, www.lisabar.com. These details are also going to be in the Gal on the Go Unplugged show notes. This is a bonus episode for season two. I was so honored that you gave your time, that this is a special episode and all about empowerment in 2024, you leading the way. Until then, Lisa, thank you so much for your time today. Oh my gosh. Thank you for your amazing, thoughtful, and thought-provoking and well-researched interview. It's I love that. You know, as sometimes I know it's hard to interview a journalist. And being a journalist, I've had that myself. And you did an excellent job. And thank you for all that you do. I really appreciate it. Oh, thank you. It's been an honor. And I told you I was very nervous because you're so <laughs> incredible. But you no, hey, made it amazing. back at you, sister. So <laughs> thank you. Well, listeners, remember, be curious, be kind, and be bold. <laughs>